Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, good morning, Crosspoint, and welcome. My name is Delaney, and I am the children's director here, and I am so glad that you have joined us for worship today. Now, of course, we are continuing with our Songs of Summer series, where we are exploring a different psalm every week. And today, we are going to journey through Psalm 131 together. So as you're flipping there, or maybe you're scrolling there, I want you to consider this question. I want you to consider, what would it take for you to be content? You know, that feeling we long for of total satisfaction. All your desires have been fulfilled. You've met all your goals and ambitions. There is nothing else that you feel like you want or need. How do you get to this place of being content? And you know, maybe if you just got promoted at work, you'd be totally satisfied. Or when you buy that dream house or pay off your debt, then all your desires are fulfilled. You know, maybe you just have a few years of school left, whether you're in high school or university, and when you're done, you will be free and you'll be content. Or maybe it's when you lose a few pounds or get a six pack. Or when your kids are actually quiet during quiet time. Or when you have a car that doesn't break down every three months. If you could just have that, then you'd be content. But maybe contentment is a long way off right now. You know, it might look like a broken relationship that needs to be restored, but the odds of that actually happening are pretty slim. Or maybe you're waiting for physical healing for yourself or someone you love. You know, maybe you'll be content when you have that child you've always longed for, or the spouse you assumed you would marry. And maybe contentment will come as soon as we're not living in a pandemic anymore. So again, I'm wondering, when will you be content? And today we're going to look at what David has to say about this in Psalm 131, but I do have just one more question for you. And this time, I want you to actually turn to the people who are around you uh, and talk about it with them, or you can post it online for everyone else to see. So my question for you now is, what are three things you did to get ready for the worship service today? Okay, so turn to the people beside you, three things you did to get ready today. All right, I think it's been a minute or two, and I can't see or hear anyone, so I'm just going to assume that you're paying attention to me again. Um, Personally, three things I did. um, I ate pancakes. They were delicious. It's a very important part of my morning. Um, I put on sunscreen because it's very important that you protect your face. Uh, And I drove here 
because I had to get here this morning. But you know, I can guess that some of your answers might have been to brush your teeth or brush your hair, eat breakfast or get dressed, or maybe you actually did none of those things because it's church online right now and no one can see you, so who cares, right? Now, when the Israelites got ready for their worship services, it looked a little bit different. See, if you look right at the top of Psalm 131, you should see something that says, a song of ascent. Okay, so this means that this psalm is part of a collection of psalms from 120 to 134 that all have that same title, a song of ascent. So those were songs that the pilgrims would sing as they made their way from different outlying areas to Jerusalem to worship there. See, the temple was in Jerusalem, so it was thought of as the center of worship. It was the place where the presence of God dwelt. So people would travel for days, bringing with them all kinds of offerings, until they arrived at the temple to worship God. How far did you travel to join our worship service today? You know, even when we're worshiping here at the Cross Point campus, how long does it take you to get here? And how content would you be if you had to travel by camel instead of car? especially in the middle of an Alberta blizzard. But see, this pilgrimage, it wasn't just a physical journey. Yes, they had to physically get to Jerusalem, but the people of God also embarked on a spiritual journey. As they sang the songs of ascent, they prepared their hearts for worship. They were getting ready to enter the place where God's presence dwelt. So with this in mind, Let's dive into this song that the Israelites sang as they got ready for worship. It's only three verses, and we are going to start, very logically, with verse 1. Let's read this together. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now, maybe the first thing you're thinking when we read this is, Wow, that David guy, the one who wrote the psalm, he's pretty wordy. You know, because if you look at it, he's really just repeating himself. David probably could have condensed it and said, I'm not proud, and I'm not concerned about the stuff beyond me. Wouldn't that have been a much clearer way to get his point across? And that tends to be how we think, especially living in a world that values efficiency and productivity above all else. See, we are content with 140 characters or less. Anything longer than that, and we stop reading. But the Hebrew poets weren't wordy and repetitive because they were trying to reach a word count. See, this was a very specific technique they used called parallelism. Parallelism, it exists all throughout the Psalms, and the authors used this poetic device to emphasize or explain whatever idea they were trying to convey. And Psalm 131, it specifically uses synonymous parallelism, where the second line repeats the idea of the first. But it's not just repeating it for the sake of repeating it. That second line is building on the first one. It's intensifying the idea. So let's consider this together. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. Yes, David is restating the same idea twice, but 
it's not the exact same. Think about your heart. Your heart is who you are. It's how you think of yourself. But your eyes see the world around you. It's how you think of other people. Because pride isn't content for me to just place myself on a pedestal. It's not satisfied for me to just think, you know, I'm pretty hot stuff, everyone loves me, and they should. No, pride also requires that I push other people down so that I can stay nice and safe on my pedestal. Let me give you an example. Growing up, I was always a straight-A student. I actually skipped grade one, so I did the first couple weeks of it, and then my teachers realized that I was advanced for my age, so they plopped me into grade two. Uh, and even though I was a year younger than everyone, I was still top of the class. School came very easily to me. You know, I was one of those annoying people who didn't have to work hard to get good grades. And unsurprisingly, it didn't take long for this to go to my head. Year after year, my ego inflated just a little bit more. My pride began to grow. I took pride in my successes and accomplishments, and I looked down on the people around me. I got really good at what's called a humble brag. And maybe you've heard of this before, but it's a boast disguised as a humble statement or complaint. Did you notice that I did it a minute ago? I was one of those annoying people who didn't have to work hard to get good grades. See, not only am I saying that I'm great because I get good grades, I'm saying that you're not great because you don't. See, and that's a simplified explanation of pride, but do you see how it affects both your heart and your eyes? But no matter how great you think you are, no matter how much you look down on other people, you will never find contentment in pride. See, throughout school, I won awards and scholarships. I thought I was better and smarter than most other people, but at the end of grade 12, some other kid beat me out for valedictorian, and I was mad about it. See, this wasn't even something I was necessarily trying to achieve, but I wanted it. For as long as I held on to pride, I could never be satisfied or fulfilled or content. Let's continue on with the first verse. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. You know, I can imagine that all of us have dreams, goals, and ambitions, things we strive for, things we want to achieve. But what are those great matters? The things too wonderful for you? that you shouldn't be concerned about? What are those impossibilities you're pursuing? You know, and I think it's important to note here that success and achievement themselves are not bad things. You know, this psalm was written by King David. See, he ruled over a kingdom. He had riches. He conquered nations. He was successful in a lot of what he did. No, he wasn't perfect, but he was the king of Israel. And that's a pretty big deal. So success and achievement are not the problem. The problem is striving for the things that God has not called you to. Let me give you another example from my own life. 
After I graduated high school, God called me to go to Bible college to become a children's pastor. So I went to Bible college to find my husband. That was my goal. That was what I was striving for. And I would not be content until I was married to some beautiful, intelligent, hard-working man. And in my first year of college, I experienced a lot of disappointment and heartbreak because I did not meet the man of my dreams. I felt like a failure. But I was pursuing something that was beyond me. And once I decided to pursue the call to become a children's pastor, Bible college made a lot more sense. I was much closer to being content. Maybe for you, though, you're not seeking to find the perfect spouse. You know, maybe you have this urge to be in control. You're striving to control the circumstances or people around you. Or maybe you have a longing for your achievements to be recognized on a larger scale. Or maybe you have an obsession with making people like you. And that's the thing you're going after. And as long as you're striving for this thing, whatever it is, you will never be content. But in this psalm, David wants to show us that there is a way to reach this elusive state of contentment. See, he has just told us in verse 1 that this is what he's not. But now he's going to give us a picture of what he is. Let's read together. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Now, there's something I should clarify before we explore this passage any further. I have never weaned a child. But I don't think David did either, and he's the one who wrote this psalm. Uh, so I think we can all appreciate the meaning of this metaphor, even if you are not a breastfeeding mother. First, let's consider a child who is not weaned. When a baby is breastfeeding, his mother is his source of provision. When a hungry baby is with his mother, he's thinking of what she can give him. He fusses and he squirms until he gets what he wants. He's frustrated and agitated until he receives the immediate satisfaction of his mother's milk. This child will be content when his mother gives him what he wants. But what about a child who is weaned? A child who is no longer breastfeeding? Yes, in many ways, his mother is still providing for his needs, and he hasn't suddenly become a perfect kid, but there's been a shift. This child can now sit with his mother without the expectation of immediate satisfaction. He can sit with her without thinking of what she's going to give him. There is now a desire for love, closeness, and companionship, there is a desire to be in her presence. He will be content when he is with his mother. Now, I'm sure you are beginning to see what David is getting at with this metaphor. This is a picture of his posture before God. Just like a weaned child is content to sit with his mother without asking for anything else, 
David is content to sit with God, to be in his presence, to experience that love and that closeness. See, David has learned to seek God's face, not just his hands. What do I mean by that? Well, I want us to consider how we spend our time with God. When you go to God in prayer, what is your purpose? Because I know that for me, I often have an agenda. I have my own wants and needs that I expect God to fulfill. There are other people's challenges that I'm lifting up in prayer. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me, to give me wisdom, to work both in and through me. And none of those are bad things. God wants us to come to him in prayer and ask for his help. But if all I'm doing is seeking out what he can do for me or what he can give me, I'm missing out on this relationship that David illustrates for us in Psalm 131. He says, like a weaned child, I am content. But if I'm just going to God and waiting for him to give me what I want, I am not going to be content. I have to seek his face, not just his hands. But how do I do that? See, we've already covered pride and seeking the things that are beyond us. But at the very beginning of verse 2, David says, I have calmed and quieted myself. And when I think of my own life, calm and quiet are not two words that I would use to describe it. See, part of that is because I live with five children, and while I love them all very much, they are the opposite of calm and quiet. But even without the kids, my life is busy and noisy. You know, I have things to do, places to go, people to see. My to-do list is long. I get frustrated when I'm not productive. I don't have time to slow down or rest or be still. And I think I can safely assume that I am not alone in feeling this. So I want us to consider together these words written by Adele Alberg Calhoun in her book, The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. This is from her chapter on silence. She writes, It is difficult to find silence in an age of technology and information. Silence challenges our cultural addiction to amusement, words, music, advertising, noise, alarms, and voices. Silence asks for patience and waiting. And both silence and waiting make us uncomfortable. We can't tell if we are doing anything in them. So when we come upon silence, we fill it. We cram it with something else we can learn or do or achieve. And to me, that sounds exactly like what David is not talking about. He has painted a very different picture of being calm and quiet with God. So let's read what Adele says about actually practicing the discipline of silence. As you quietly offer your body, you can hone your listening reflexes. There is nothing you need to do here. This is not a time to come up with strategies for fixing your life. Silence is a time to rest in God. Lean into God, trusting that being with him in silence 
will loosen your rootedness in the world and plant you by streams of living water. It can form your life, even if it doesn't solve your life. That sounds an awful lot like seeking God's face, not his hands. And what Adele is talking about here is a very specific time that you set aside to practice the discipline of silence. When you sit with God, seeking his face, resting in his presence, and setting aside that time is good, and we should all do it, but that's not it. See, in his psalm, David is describing the posture of his heart. He doesn't calm and quiet himself for 10 minutes a day. His soul is like a weaned child. So for my soul to be content, I need my entire life to slow down, to let in less noise. And so maybe that means intentionally setting aside time to rest, or going for more walks without my phone, or actually practicing Sabbath every single week, or waking up at 5 a.m. before the world gets noisy and there are distractions everywhere. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know that David expected us to actually do something about cultivating this heart posture before God. David finishes this short psalm with a call to action. Let's look at the third and final verse. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. If we think back to the beginning, when I asked what it would take for you to be content, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that not everyone will receive or achieve everything they think will make them content. And if those were the only things we could put our hope in, well, we'd be in trouble. If I had to rely on buying a house or having kids or having a healthy body to be content, I think it's guaranteed that I will be disappointed. But instead, we get to put our hope in the God who loved his people enough to come to earth as a baby, to endure the cross and despise its shame so that we could be saved through our faith in him. This is the God we put our hope in both now and forevermore. Not now and when it's convenient, not now and when you feel like it, but now and when you're in crippling debt, now and when the chemo doesn't work, now and when there's still a pandemic in three months, now and when your car breaks down in the middle of the highway, both now and when you're still single after four years of bridal college. Throughout the psalm, David has painted us this picture of contentment. He has said, this is what I'm not, this is what I am, and now I want you to go and do the same. Which sounds really nice. But when I read Psalm 131, all I can think is, I'm not doing any of this well. You know, I have a lot more pride than humility most days. My life is busy and noisy. I am content to seek God's hands, to only care about what he's doing for me. But there's something really important about weaning that we didn't mention before. If you ask any mother who has weaned a child, she will tell you that it did not happen overnight. 
It is not comfortable or enjoyable. It is not something a child ever looks forward to doing. It's really hard, and it takes a long time. So I think we can assume that David's posture of being content with God also didn't happen overnight. Let's consider 1 Chronicles 21, where David counted all of the fighting men throughout Israel, even though his army commander warned him not to. But David wanted to know how strong and powerful his army was. He put pride in numbers. He sought contentment in human strength. And then God sent a plague on Israel and killed 70,000 men. Or what about David and Bathsheba? David felt that what he had was not enough. He would not be content until he had another man's wife. He strived for Bathsheba, and that story ended with murder and the death of David's son. David was not always like a weaned child with its mother, which is good because I'm definitely not, but I can get there. Because one final thing to mention about a weaned child is he didn't do it on his own. He didn't wake up one day and think, you know, it's about time I weaned myself. I better get started on that today. No, this is a process that involves both the baby and his mother. And don't you think that God will be right there with us as we're figuring out this new way of posturing our hearts before him? Just like a mother says no and withholds immediate satisfaction from her child, God will do the same for us. The mother doesn't do it to punish her child. She doesn't find pleasure in his discomfort, but she knows that this needs to happen as the child continues to grow. And when we undergo spiritual weaning, it will probably make us frustrated and uncomfortable, and we will be mad at God for making us do this terrible thing. But if we are going to continue to grow and mature as children of God, we have to allow ourselves to be weaned. We need to let God withhold the things that bring us immediate pleasure and satisfaction. To keep the things beyond us out of our reach. To eliminate the noise and busyness that brings us comfort. Because that's when growth happens. That's when, like a weaned child, our souls will be content. While Crosspoint, we are going to move into a time of responsive prayer. This is something that we do every week, and I encourage, it, I encourage you to do it with the people that are in the room with you. You know, call your kids to come and join you. Uh, call up a friend to pray with you. But we're going to pray together. So first, I'll pray, and then invite you to do the same. Father, I thank you for today. Um, I thank you for this opportunity that we have had to gather together to hear your voice, to know you more. And Lord, Lord, would you help us to continue to seek your face, uh, to seek you without requiring anything of you, without requiring you uh, to satisfy our needs, to fulfill our desires. Lord, would you help us to become like weaned children in your presence, to sit and to be with you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your grace, for your love. We praise you today and every day. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. 
Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton, and you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.